Two and a half years ago, uh, my uncle, uh, David Maines, passed away. I would say over the last 60 years, he has been uh, 50 years plus, probably the leading voice for evangelicals in Canada. And uh, he was uh, struggling with cancer. And although we have chatted over the years here and there, I just felt I, I should um, make an effort to go and see him in hospital uh, while he was in his uh, later stages of cancer. And uh, my, my purpose was this, to sit and talk to him. And, and God, God gave us uh, just, uh, there were no other people that had come in. Uh, basically, the medical staff weren't interrupting. We just sat for about two hours and talked. And I was uh, interested to, to hear about him. What, what are the lessons that God has taught you in, in this great career that you've had and all of the things that you have done to forward the gospel in Canada and around the world? And, and uh, what were the victories that were won? What wisdom do you have to pass on? And we just we chatted in an unhurried and, and wonderful uh, way. It was a, a, a great time and, and uh, also uh, some precious moments shared uh, that could never be bought back if we lost that opportunity. And um, we think about the kind of encounters that we have in life, uh, encounters that touch us and, and move us and, and uh, how God uses sometimes those those different encounters, and, and they could be planned uh, like it was with my uncle. I, I specifically went to see him and, uh, and spend time with him. Or sometimes it happens in a very uh, serendipitous way that just, uh, it, it seems to be happenstance, but, but really it's God who is moving to put us with somebody to have an encounter. And I suppose if there was anybody that you'd really want to have an encounter with, who would you want more than the Son of God, God the Son who came to earth, to have an encounter with him, to meet him in a very personal way? Um, he is obviously the most fascinating, riveting, uh, searching person you could have. Who, who greater to have an audience with than with Jesus? And uh, last week we started a series of messages, and Pastor Daniel started us off with an encounter that Peter had with, uh, with the Lord Jesus in Galilee after the resurrection. He had some business to finish up, and, and that encounter for him was life-changing and life-giving for him. And this morning we want to look at another one uh, of, uh, of these uh, encounters that people had with Jesus. Uh, we're we're going to look at an encounter that a man by the name of Nicodemus had, and um, and if you have your Bible or your phone, you can turn to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. And we want to look at this encounter uh, that Nicodemus has with Jesus. Uh, if you don't have your Bible with you or uh, you don't have the Bible on your phone, um, I want to invite you to grab the Bible that's in the rack in front of you. Uh, the, and... Uh, in there, you can turn to page 887, and that'll get you to John chapter 3. And uh, this morning, we want to investigate this encounter that, uh, that Jesus has with this man. 
I want to call him an informed seeker. In John chapter 3, we read these uh, in the first two verses. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Fascinating. Here's a man who has seen and heard about Jesus. Uh, John gives us very few uh, actual encounters or, or miraculous deeds in his book, but he says uh, in, in, the, in the end of chapter 2 uh, that he said, that he did a lot of miracles. In fact, John says, I imagine if we tried to record them all in a book, all the books in the world couldn't uh, record the things that Jesus did. But uh, he was well, uh, he was well uh, understanding of something of who Jesus was. And Jesus had this incredible, incredible uh, uh, expression of power and signs and miraculous deeds that had caught the attention of everyone. And, and here is this guy, and he's, he's, said, uh, he's described as being a Pharisee. That is, he is a member of a, a very uh, exclusive religious party, one that took faith very seriously. Um, if you go back in time with history, you'll find that when the temple was, was uh, destroyed, um, there was a time when in, that was the whole place where Israel would come to worship. Now it didn't exist anymore, and so sacrifices stopped. And so what they did was they began to establish synagogues where people would go and pray and gather. And uh, it, it was during this time that um, out of the Hasidim, and the Hasidim were uh, a, a, a very strict a regulated group of people who sought to live according to the Torah or the law of the Old Testament. And um, so they did that. The term means separated. They separated themselves from things that they believed were wrong and committed themselves to God. They were so careful. The, 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 the Pharisees came out of this group. Uh, they were so careful and intent. Their, their heart's desire was to live for God. And uh, to live in a way, and so they got so nitpicky about things that wh what they would do is the, the, the law would say, you've got to keep the Sabbath day holy. And, and there were very few uh, uh, discussions about, well, well, what does that look like? And so the, the Pharisees wanted to obey God so much that they said, well, what we'll do is this. Um, we'll make up rules that we can keep so we'll honor God. So we'll say, you can go so far. And I uh, say, well, you know, if you have to make a meal, no, you can't make a meal, or you can do this. Well, how do we define this? And so they started making rules about rules, about rules, about rules, so that they could honor God. Now, I, I would uh, say, they, you know, when you look at the New Testament, they get a pretty rough ride, uh, particularly from Jesus. So most of us would be Really, when you say Pharisee, you've got all kinds of negative things you think about. I want to suggest to you, if we were living in that time, a lot of us would probably want to be Pharisees. They really wanted to live for God. There was another party. There were two other main parties. One was called the Sadducees. They didn't believe in the whole Old, uh, the whole old Testament. They only believed in the first five books. They didn't believe in the resurrection from the dead. They didn't, and they tended to be more of a noble class 
and, and more liberal in their theology and thinking. And, and so you've got these groups here. But here's a guy who really wants to live for God with all of his heart. Here's a guy who, who's, who's putting it into practice. Who would, he would have been highly educated. Uh, he, would have, uh, he would have been an older man because he's a part of the Jewish ruling council. That's like the high court of the land. Uh, 70 members led by the high priest. And he was one of these guys. So he is highly revered. His life is committed to studying the word of God, to memorizing it, to meditating on it, to living it out, to teaching it. Uh, he was highly educated. He was a scholar. Um, he was a rabbi. He was a teacher of the law, an academic. And here he is, this, this uh, uh, distinguished person. And he comes to Jesus by night. He's heard about all that Jesus has done. And so here he comes. And uh, uh, he, he presents himself to Jesus. With all his heart, he wanted to live out his faith properly. And uh, he, wanted to, he wanted to meet Jesus. He, he didn't know what he was getting into, but he had seen and heard so much that he wanted to see what was going on with this. And he comes and uh, he, he says to Jesus, uh, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher from God. It's interesting because he calls Jesus Rabbi or teacher. And it's like, well, we're, we're kind of colleagues. I'm a rabbi. You're a rabbi. You know, let's, let's talk together. He didn't realize who he's dealing with. He didn't realize who he's, he's talking to. And, and so uh, he, here, here he is coming to meet uh, Jesus. And it's, he, what he says to me is so instructive. He says, um, we, and I think he's talking about the religious establishment, the, the Sanhedrin. He says, um, we know that you're, you're sent from God because nobody could do the miracles that you do. Uh, to me, that is, has to be one of the most damning statements in all of the New Testament. Because the, the, the religious establishment would turn on Jesus. In fact, the chapter before, uh, before this, in chapter 2, Jesus goes one of his three times that he goes in John's Gospel to the Passover. And he comes to the Passover and he sees the money changers and he sees people with, with their animals in, in the temple courts. And uh, he, he uh, is angered by that. And, and what he does is he comes and drives them out. He makes a whip and drives them out. He said, you've made, you've made uh, this a den of uh, robbers. And, and here he is. Uh, the zeal for your house is has captured him. And, and so they see the miracles and they see him do some of these kinds of things that he was doing. Um, and he doesn't fit the mold of a, a, a normal rabbi. He, he, he doesn't, uh, he's uneducated according to their standards. He's a blue collar worker. He worked with his hands. He was a, a carpenter. Jesus did not just fit the mold of the rabbis of their day. And so here he is. Nicodemus wants to meet him, and he comes at night. The question is, why does he come at night? And, and there's a lot of uh, conjecture about this. Uh, one, of, one of the reasons people think he came by night, because uh, this class of people would study often on into the, uh, into the night 
where they would not be disturbed so much. I don't know what's about that. Some say he came because he was intimidated. He didn't want others to know that he was coming. Some say that he came because he was, uh, he was there kind of on official duty to check out this Jesus guy. I'd rather think not because I think they'd have more than one person to go if that's what they were that what they were doing. I don't know. There's all kinds of speculation. I have a feeling that he came because he was seeking and searching, because he saw something in Jesus that was undeniably different than what he had known. And, and I think that he came as really a sincere seeker. And, and so he comes there, Rabbi, we know you're a, a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs unless God is truly with him. He hadn't even asked a question, but Jesus weighs in at this point. I, I, I got to tell you when, you, when you read the Gospels, look at how Jesus deals with people. Look at how, what he says to them. And most of the time, he's, he's asking them questions or, or taking them down a bunny trail. And so he comes and he hasn't asked a question. But here's what Jesus says to him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless you are one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He hasn't even asked a question. And here's what Jesus leads with. He says to him, truly, truly, uh, verily, verily. Uh, and that's like, sit up and pay attention. This is important. This is the kind of thing that if you were, the teacher was going to tell you what's on the exam. He would say, verily, verily. Truly, truly. Now get this. This is really important. In fact, he says it three times through his discussion here. Listen to this, Nicodemus. And he says this, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He makes this statement. It's, it's interesting. He's come at night, shrouded in secrecy, and here he comes seeking Jesus. And, and uh, here he comes to speak. And like a colleague, Jesus takes him down a bunny trail. It's unconventional. It's nothing like what he thought would happen. And there's this quizzical call to being born again or anew. And he's going like, I don't, I don't get this. I don't know what, I don't know what you're saying. Uh, to be born anew or born again. Uh, we understand uh, that term. And, and in our parlance, sometimes we hear people say, talk about people who are born again. And, and sometimes that refers to people, the, the, the whole point of saying, oh, that's a, a born again Christian. Like there are different kinds of Christian. It's a born again Christian. The born again Christian is the kind of Christian who is like really all over moral living. They're really strict about how they live morally. They don't do this. They don't do that. These, these are the born-again Christians. Some are seen as, as people who are enthusiastic or, or really kind of over the top about emotional or, 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 or very, uh, very careful about they would, very conservative in their views. Those are kind of the things that we hear uh, or think about or people think about when they think about, well, I, I'm a... Uh, or this person is a born-again Christian. Truly, truly, I want to say to you, unless a person is born again, they'll never see the kingdom of heaven 
What does that mean? The, the kingdom of heaven. Uh, they won't see the saving, transforming power of God who's going to fix this broken world. The gates of heaven will not be open to them. Um, they will not live eternally with God. They won't be accepted with God. They won't be without judgment unless, unless they have been born anew. He's looking at this and he doesn't know what to make of this. We have here a confused expert, a confused expert. Nicodemus just doesn't get it. And he takes it in a very literal sense. Here's what he says in verse 4. Nicodemus says to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? He took it very literally. And, and he, he doesn't get it. And... and um, He's, he's confused. He's baffled. Embarrassingly so. Here is Jesus telling him stuff. And he doesn't have a clue what Jesus is talking about. And he's the expert. He's the one that people look to. And so we've got this confused person. Uh, born again. There was a certain understanding within the Greek world of born again. They had a view of history. That history was, was kind of cyclical. We believe from a biblical standpoint that history is, is driven to an end. Uh, but, but for them, it's not history that as, as God directs it to a, uh, a certain end. He, this is cyclical and the, the world needed to be reborn over and over again. It's the kind of thing that you'd hear often in Eastern religions. And uh, so he, here he comes and he doesn't know what to make of this. He certainly understands that, but that doesn't seem to be what Jesus is talking about. Nicodemus doesn't have it all together. He doesn't understand. He's confused. And so we have the mysterious work of the Spirit. Uh, listen in, in, in verse 5. Jesus answered. Here he goes again. Truly, truly. You need to understand this. You need to pick up on it. Truly, truly, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Before he said, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of heaven. And I think that seeing is, you, you can't even understand it. You can't comprehend it. You can't see it. Um, and here he says, unless you're born of water and the Spirit, you can't enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and what is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. And, and he is absolutely mystified by this. Uh, it's inconceivable that the qualifications that Nicodemus had, that the care uh, to a holy living that he had, that this being this elite level spiritual person, this leader, is to hear this, and not know what to do with it. He doesn't understand. The, the worst part of it is. He doesn't know. What Jesus. Uh, what Jesus is up to. Truly truly. Listen. Listen. Now he says something that we find difficult to understand here. He said unless you're born of water. And the spirit. Um, you can't see the kingdom of God. You can't enter the kingdom of God. And the question is, what is the water that he's talking about? And um, frankly, depending on who you talk to, there are different uh, understandings. It could be that water was uh, talking about natural birth. And some think, well, it was the amniotic fluid or something like that. You were born through water. 
Um, some think that it's uh, water as in baptism. That what he's talking about is unless you're baptized. Because John the Baptist was saying you need to be baptized in, in, uh, to prepare yourself uh, for the coming of the king. Um, I'm going to suggest to you that that water is not either of those. But it, the water and spirit speak collectively of what Jesus is talking about in this new birth. In Ezekiel 36, we read this, speaking about the, uh, the idea of the, uh, the new covenant. He says this in Ezekiel 36, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of flesh and I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep all my laws. I think he's talking about the spiritual birth that, uh, that the Old Testament was talking about. Now certainly Nicodemus was an expert in the Old Testament. He knew it backward and forward. He had great tracts of the New Testament committed uh, to memory. And uh, so here he is. He's saying you need the Holy Spirit to bring about a spiritual birth in your life. It doesn't matter how much education you have. It doesn't matter how righteously you live. Uh, we will always fall short. We can work hard. We can work hard at being good. We can discipline ourselves. We can say we, we just have to work harder. We need to be more disciplined and God will accept us. But our, home, our, our human effort will never bring uh, about uh, the knowledge that comes from a new spiritual birth. Is Nicodemus came at night. He came in darkness. And I think that when you look through the Gospel of John, so often you find darkness is equated with spiritual ignorance and, and that which is wrong. You start in chapter 1 and go right through the whole book of, of John. You'll find that. And, and so here he is at night. He can't discern who Jesus is and what he's saying. In fact, Jesus says in verse 8, he says, The wind blows where it wishes. And you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. There's something about this that is mystifying. There's something that we don't get. And the Spirit works in such a way as that you can't see Him. You can see the results. You can hear, but you don't know where is it coming from. And where is it going to? You don't know. And so here He is. And... He is mystified by all of this. You don't know, but everyone who is born of the Spirit, God does something in them, even though we can't nail it down to understand fully. To Nicodemus, he was initially just another teacher, a rabbi, kind of on the same level. The only way Nicodemus can really know is through new spiritual birth, regeneration. He doesn't get it. He doesn't understand it. He needs to be made spiritually alive, and he can't do it by himself. The baby doesn't do the work of, uh, of birthing. I have attended the birth of our three children. Whatever I did to contribute to helping my wife through that time, it wasn't me who was having the baby. Uh, it was Gerda 
And, and you can't, the baby can do nothing to bring about a birth, right? Somebody has to bring about that birth. And so it is what he's saying here. Is your, this, is, this is embarrassing. He is um, a humbled professional. He's a, he's a humbled professional. Listen, listen to what it says in verse 9. Nicodemus says, says to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered this. Are you the teacher of Israel and yet you don't understand these things? When he said the teacher of Israel, you are a prominent religious figure. You have the authority. You have uh, the position to be able to share all of these things. He says, are you the teacher of Israel? And you don't get this stuff? You don't understand this? And here he goes again. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. If I've told you earthly things, uh, uh, how can you believe if I tell you uh, heavenly things? If you don't get it when I tell you about regular earthly things, how are you going to get it if I give you these, these uh, spiritual truths? It's interesting. Uh, he says, we speak of what we know. He says, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't, have the, you don't have the foggiest clue. He's embarrassed. He's humbled. You're the teacher of Israel, are you? And, and, and so here he is struggling with this. I've seen this happen. I, I remember sitting with a woman and, and explaining the gospel probably for an hour and a half. I gave every kind of illustration that I could to help make uh, the, the message as plain as I could. And I'll, I'll never forget uh, looking into her eyes as we had gone over and over. And she looked at me and she said, I just don't know what more I can do. And I wanted to pull my hair out. Because I'm thinking, I've just spent the last hour and a half telling you it's nothing you can do. It's only what God can do on your behalf. She didn't get it. Her eyes weren't opened. I think of Lydia in the New Testament, the first person to become a follower of Jesus in Europe. And Paul goes there to Philippi and he finds this group of, of women who are, are uh, uh, they're people who uh, are, are Gentiles, but they have embraced the Jewish faith. And when Paul starts to talk to Lydia, something happens. And in Acts 16, 14, it says, the Lord opened her heart to respond to the message. What happens? You can't, you can't make it happen. I couldn't make it happen. I, you know, I, I mean, I, sometimes I, I, I say this uh, to my shame. You know, I've been sharing the gospel and I'm thinking, you're good. I mean, like, I, it's embarrassing. I'm, I'm listening to myself. I can hardly wait to hear what I'm going to say next. And I, because I think this is, you know, and, and, and nothing happens. Why? Because I can't do anything. I can't argue you into the kingdom. I can't, I can't uh, be so compelling as to win you over. Only God can do that. Only God understands. And, and so with, with Lydia, the Lord opened her heart and she responded. We had a person in, in, in my church and her, uh, her granddaughter was, her daughter was friends with 
somebody in our church's daughter. And it was uh, coming up on a Mother's Day. And she said to her, this girl said to her mother, uh, I want to go to church for Mother's Day with you, with my friend. And so she said she, said she would. And so she came to church, and I, I remember at the, uh, at the end of the service, she shook my hand, and she said uh, something like, uh, well put, Reverend, or something like that. And, um, and then she called me the next week. She was a professor from the university, and uh, she said, I'd like to make an appointment with you if I can. And so I said, well, sure, I'd love to talk with you. So she came in, and we talked about what the gospel was. And uh, she left that uh, conversation, and she said, um, uh, Pastor Kevin says I'm not a Christian. Well, I never said that, but as we talked in, in probing, like, where are you, what are you up to, and, and all of that, she came to the conclusion that I said she's not a Christian. That's, for, that's between her and God. But she, God opened her heart. And, and I had the exquisite joy of being with her as she offered that first prayer when God opened her up and made her his child. It was interesting because uh, a week later after church, she rushed over to me and she said, you know what, the most incredible thing happened. I was reading the Bible this week and it, the words were jumping off the page at me. It was incredible. I, I was just going crazy and, and, and things were making sense to me. That's what happens when the Spirit of God invades a life and there's a new birth. See, when we used to be dead in our trespasses and sin. We couldn't even make a decision to head in the right way. And, and, and so here she is. Her heart has been opened. The Spirit of God has invaded her life. And now there's this excitement. There's this understanding. And, and, and it was so incredible to see as God intervened in that situation. And he began to illumine. And that's what being born again is all about. He stirs and moves the heart. He convinces us and convicts us of things that are true and things that we should stay away from and things that we should believe. That's the spirit working. And here's a guy uh, in, in Nicodemus who has all the knowledge and understanding and all of the degrees and, and, and yet he's clueless about some of that stuff because it, it hasn't happened for him. He hasn't been born anew from above by the Holy Spirit. And the, the Holy Spirit opens our hearts and illumines our minds and helps us to see spiritual realities where we would never have seen them before. And he gives us a new desire in, our church, in ourselves. Uh, Gerda and I had the privilege of helping uh, her, her sister and her husband come to faith in Christ. Um, it's interesting when I think about born again because... Uh, they came from, uh, you know, kind of a nominal Christian background, but when they became believers in Christ, his father said, uh, now you're not one of those born-again guys, are you? You're not one of those, are you? Thinking that's a negative thing. But I remember, that, I remember what happened. They, they were contemplating coming to Christ, and they were thinking, but we see our lives and your lives, and our lives are a little different than your lives, and you don't do some things that we do, or we do some things that you may not do. And, 
And I kind of sensed that was what, what a concern was. And I said, look, um, don't let that stop in your way. If God is prompting you, if he's drawing you to himself, then open your heart to that. You know, the most beautiful thing happened. They did that. And the things that they thought might be issues for them just fell by the wayside because the spirit was guiding and leading in their life as he does and can only do. I had somebody uh, in church here and I, I was particularly exercised about a message I was preaching on the love of God and it had so captivated my soul. It brought me to tears and there was a, 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 a level of, of uh, a passion I had about this. And, and afterwards I said to this person, what did you make of the message? And the individual said to me, oh, it was a good message. I said, no, I'm not asking if it was a good message. I said, did God in any way speak to you about that? She says, no, not really. No, not really. And, and, and I'm thinking, oh, God, I, I can't do this. Only you can do it. Only you can reach out and touch somebody. And by your power, he begins to change the way we think and behave and our character and our desires and all of these things. And then we see Jesus' shocking uh, identity that he comes out with. In verse 13, he says, No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. We, we, uh, the term son of man is used about 81 times in the Gospels as a designation for Jesus. And we kind of skip over that. Son of man, well, yeah, he's, I guess he's human. And so in a sense, he's a son of man. We son of God, son of man. Um, and Jesus says to this guy, he says, nobody has gone up to heaven but somebody's come from heaven. And that's the Son of Man. And that, and that takes us back to chapter 7 of Daniel, where we find out that the one who is the Son of Man is the eternal ruler that will come. He's with the Ancient of Days. He's with God the Father, but he's going to come, and he's going to rule, and he's all-powerful, and he'll establish a kingdom. And when Jesus said this, Nobody's gone up to heaven, but somebody from heaven has come down, and it's the Son of Man. He's saying, I am the sovereign one over all the peoples of the earth. It's interesting that of the 81 times, Jesus, 78 times, designates himself as that. He's not just a rabbi. He's not just a teacher. He's the supreme rule, and his spirit reveals that. And so he says in verses 14 and 15, and so as Moses was lift, lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. He says this, salvation is only through faith in Jesus Christ. And he talks about something that happened in the Old Testament that is marked in Numbers chapter uh, uh, 21. And it's, it's an occurrence that had happened. The people had been rebelling against God. And so God sent uh, poisonous snakes among them. And they bit them. And some people were dying. And they say, 
What, what do we do? They called out to God for help. And, and so what God did was instructed Moses. He, Moses made a bronze uh, snake and put it on a pole. And he said, lifting this up, he said, if you look at the snake, this will stop. And he uses this as a kind of a strange example of Jesus. Because he says to him, and Mo, as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. As Moses was lifted up, the Son of Man, he's identified himself as the coming ruler, has to be lifted up. And if you will look to him and to him alone and believe in him, whoever believes in him will have uh, eternal life. It's incredible. It's incredible. Um, for, for starters, the Jews didn't believe that their ruler would, would be subjected to something like that. But here is Jesus. He, he's, they're expecting a prophet. They're expecting the Messiah in power. But there's a twist to this. The Son of Man needs to be lifted up. And he will be lifted up on a cross and he said, if I, if I be lifted up, will draw all people to myself. Salvation is by faith alone in Jesus. And this is craziness. That you would have to look to Jesus and look to Jesus alone who would die to pay the penalty for our sin. It's not about the works that we do. Listen, listen to this verse from John chapter 6, verse 29. The work of God is this. What, what does God want of me? What's the work of God? What should I be doing? The work of God is this. To believe in the one he has sent. The work of God is not to, uh, not to do things, do, 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 that God would like us and be favorable to us and, and uh, hear us and answer our prayers. No, no, no. That, that's not it. It's about a new birth that would come through believing and believing alone. Not self-achievement. Jesus did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Through Jesus' death, we have life. It's interesting, uh, my mother who passed away this, this past year, um, her mother died through childbirth, was uh, awake enough to name her after herself. And she died, but through her mother's death, came birth. And through Jesus Christ who dies, if we will look to him and look to him alone, uh, he himself will bring life. It's a new birth, a new spirituality, and in it we find a new identity. And this, this is incredible. When you're born, you're born into a family, into a group. Listen to what in John 1, what is uh, said to us. Uh, Jesus, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of will of the flesh, nor of the will of a man, but of God. And we enter into that family of God, as children of God, through what Jesus did in this rebirth, 
making us alive spiritually and taking us and, and transforming our lives. And he said, if you're going to see the kingdom of God, if you're going to enter the kingdom of God, you need to be born anew, born from above. You need God to make you spiritually alive. And you know what? I can't do that for you. All I can do is point you to Christ. All I can do is say, if you look to him and look to him alone, if you stop trying to make your way to him, if you, if you stop trying to earn his favor and receive the gift that he's given you. See, the interesting thing is what we're called to do is believe. So often in the Bible, it's repent and believe. Turn away from the wrong to believe. But because I'm dead, spiritually dead, I, I, I'm not... I'm not what I should be. I can't respond as I should. God does a miracle of the rebirth. And you say, well, what, what happens first? I think, I think God's saving work comes to bear on us. And he does something incredible and makes us a part of his family. Forgives us our sin. Gives us eternal life. Opens our heart and minds and begins to transform us, which is what he wants. What about this guy, Nicodemus? How do you, how do you leave here? How, how do we leave him? Well, thankfully, when we get to the end of John's gospel in chapter 19, after Jesus has died, there's a guy who's willing to own Jesus. There's a guy willing to say, he's my savior. There's a guy who was on that council who said, I'm not going along with them. And what he did was, he came and, and uh, with Joseph of Arimathea, he asked for the body of Jesus. And here's a guy who unashamedly took him and, and did something that only women or servants would do in that culture. And that was, he wrapped the body of Jesus in linen and he went and bought uh, uh, about, 100, uh, about 75 pounds of anointing spices for the body. And he showed this act of kindness. It got through. The message got through. And it wasn't based on anything he'd done. He now was a follower of Jesus Christ. And my prayer for you, my dear friends, if you haven't done that yet, I can't make it happen. Like I said to that person, I, I said, did, did, that, did that message stir you? Did it move you at all? No, not really. Not really. And uh, my heart sunk. Because our desire is to see people come to know Christ. The only way, the way, the truth, and the life. And uh, I would say, if you have sensed God tugging in your heart, if you've sensed him pulling, if you've sensed him, uh, this affirmation in your mind that, yes, I, I, I'm, I'm a sinner, I'm needy, I've rebelled against God, I'm in trouble. And, 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 and if there's that sense that God loves me, God has provided for me, and I, I'm just kind of overwhelmed about it, and I feel this tugging pulling me toward him. And I want to tell you that if you pray to him and acknowledge your sin and put your faith and trust in what he has done, it sounds to me, if, if God is working in you that way, that he's opening your heart to that. And I want to encourage you to respond to him to agree with him about your need and to thank him and put your faith and trust in what he's done. And if you do that in the quietness of your own mind in prayer, would you come and tell me afterwards? Would you come and let me know? And uh, we'll...
will rejoice with you in what God is doing. Let's pray. Father, oh, Father, we can't do anything without you. We're helpless. All of our righteousness, you said, are filthy rags before you. And you have, you have sent Jesus to give us new life, to give us eternal life, to make us your children, that we would be identified as the children of the living God. Thank you that this happens only through what you do. May we be humble before you. And may the Spirit of God strive with our souls and convict us of the truth of this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.